Welcome back to the Domestic Yak Podcast. We've got a very special episode for you tonight, today, in the morning, whenever you're planning on listening to this. This is Eddie Elfman. I'm joined by Ajax. Yo! And once again, our very special and esteemed guest, Ray Tracing. How you doing, Ray? Hey, thanks for having me. Ray, uh, how's Cyberpunk working out for you? Are you, uh, you, you feeling like you're put, put to work there in that, that game? It's just everything's overpowered the the game mechanics are still a little bit broken but i've been playing on pc so it hasn't been too glitchy uh lots of fun fun story though i woke up from one of the flashbacks in the game and thought i was still wearing clothes so i went to the vending machine and sold on my pants so i was a uh, junk out for a mission or two before i uh, pick some up again oh damn that's an option in the game it's not like you're just automatically in your uh in your loincloth or, or under armor you, character customization you adjust the uh the the size of the package if you will <laughs> so you uh must have a pretty nice uh rig then to play cyberpunk on your computer yeah it's not too bad i uh used to use it for crypto mining but uh that is uh now i'm just using it for video gaming right now Ray, how many unsolicited dick pics have you sent? Uh, at least a dozen. I have shown in a game. few people in game, obviously in game, uh, because that is more appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, it uh, beats the chat roulette days, where you thought you were surfing for lulls and 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 maybe uh, meeting a random stranger, but every third person on chat roulette was just a dick. Just a dude masturbating. Sometimes if it even looked like a female, it still turned into a dude masturbating. Chat roulette. I don't recommend it. Yeah, I think a lot of young men and women, before they were of the consenting age, had their minds uh, perturbed by what terrible things the internet has to offer. But the internet has a lot of other great things to offer, such as money 2.0 and cryptocurrencies. So we have Ray on today to talk a bit about uh, crypto mining and Money 2.0. Could you go into detail about what Money 2.0 is? Is it is it our plastic money that we can't rip? Like, what is it? Well, it's really just the evolution of the way that uh, money is going to be used. It's been something that's been tethered to gold and physical assets for a while, but the math we have with cryptocurrencies makes it way more powerful and way more... Uh, it's, it's public. You can send money internationally for uh, value, uh, transfer value between people internationally for a very small fee. Now, Ray, if we're talking about a digital system to send and receive money, this must be encrypted because how, how could you trust it otherwise? Now, our uh, co-host, our co-anchor here at Anchor FM, at at Podcast FM, at, on the interwebs. Ed, our co-host, has a hard time with encryption. And he doesn't believe in the powers of encryption. He hasn't joined the church of encryption. And I thought maybe you could speak to the strength of the encryption to help convince Ed that your money is indeed safe and secure if it's encrypted digitally. Well, in order to be so safe and secure, you would have to do so much encryption and decryption that you'd have to have thousands of computers working at the same time trying to tackle some sort of problem. Well, that's exactly what you get on a blockchain. Systems like Bitcoin and the Ethereum blockchains are perfect examples of a system where you have a large amount of security because you have a large buy-in from the size of a network. Things are measured uh, for security are measured in hash rate. The more complex the hash, the more complex the math will be uh, to make this fairly simple. And the more computers and or people you have working on the problem, the more complex the hash rate gets. So because Bitcoin mining has become so popular in the world, um, it's at a hash rate that's almost unfathomable from another computing system. Now, Ed, I will warn you, I'm coming into this podcast a little bit fucking hot and heavy. And the reason for that is I spent like half of today literally completing a course in cryptography. (laughs) Oh, I thought that you were 
or spending your day doing your nine no. to five job no, where that, you serve hot dogs down at the local deli. <laughs> Learning about cryptography is relevant to the future of hot dog sales because uh, one day we'll have a hot dog coin. And rather than giving me money, you'll just transfer me a hot dog coin and you will get one fat Frankfurter on a bun. Um, so yeah, I, I did an entire cryptography course today, learned all about the different encryption stuff. So I am ready to out the myths. I am ready to break the fake news. I am ready to tell you why uh, encryption is our new savant, why encryption is more secure than you think it is, and the computational requirements are less significant than what you think. Now, I think Ray touched on something very important, which I'm hoping he can now define for us. Ray, what is a hash? What does a hash mean? I think it's weed, right? Well, hash is, it's, it's a formula which changes um, a number, just like in cryptography. Uh, the good example that people may have seen before is a codex where you have a spinning wheel and, you know, A is a 1, B is a 2, C is a 3. So you write out 1, 2, 3, and it really translates into ABC. The hash is a formula which translates... Um, your original data into its encrypted state. Actually, um, Senor Ray, based on my teachings today, you are describing the cipher. A hash is how you guarantee that the original data hasn't been tampered with. A hash is included with the ciphertext in order to verify that during transit, no man in the middle has transformed that data. Does that ring a bell yep no that's uh that's definitely like going into the the hashing and i'm going into the next steps there getting ahead of myself yeah so uh, th this is all complicated and, and lay people like ed he's a lay person <laughs> yeah i have no formal <laughs> education in any yeah. in any regard in anything technology i just uh, i just make sausages all day like a good german boy Lay people can struggle with the concepts of encryption technology because we love to use acronyms. And when you look at how it's actually implemented in the real world is we combine a variety of different encryption technologies together in order to uh, circumvent the weaknesses of each other. So when you think of like just a basic level encryption, you're going to pair that with something else. Uh, and, and you kind of... Uh, look at a couple main categories. You look at confidentiality, you look at integrity, you look at um, non-reticence uh, or, or something, but there's these different categories that different encryption technologies fall into that allow you to have confidence about the sender of a message, about the integrity of the data, about verifying that the data came from who it said it came from, and so even when you talk about a message hash, which like, let's say that you uh, use a particular cipher to encrypt a bit of data. So let's say that you have the word poop and you encrypt this and uh, you use a, a certain type of encryption to encrypt that. Then to generate a hash, you'll take another piece of random string of characters and you'll encrypt that random string of characters as well with the same encryption technology, and that will produce a hash. And so when you send over this file with the hash to the recipient, that recipient receives a hash, and they are going to take a, a different piece of data, and they're going to apply that hash to it and see if they get the same value as what was sent over. If those values line up, then you know that the original data hasn't been changed when it was sent over. And then you can proceed with decryption, right? You have private keys and public keys. I, I won't go into all of it, but all of these encryption technologies are heavily stacked on top of each other. You have hashing technologies that, that guarantee the chain and the integrity of the information. You have asymmetrical encryption, which allows you to verify that the information came who, it say, who they say it came from. Um, and then you have symmetrical encryption, which is the least secure, but we've got workarounds for that. Uh, ways of guaranteeing that those private keys, which are susceptible to being intercepted, there's ways to devise systems 
that those private keys don't get grabbed. So with all that in mind, that is the basis of your blockchain technologies. And as I was saying to Ray earlier today, a TLS handshake is a lot like blockchain. Could you talk a little bit about blockchain, Ray? Well, I mean, my first exposure to it was with the Bitcoin and you're mentioning the private keys. The private keys are very important. It's kind of like your password to open up and use your Bitcoin. Um, I mined some Bitcoin in high school before it was worth anything. We hijacked the computer lab's uh, computers. We took advantage of a vulnerability to give ourselves remote access to them. And during when they weren't being used, they were spinning up and mining Bitcoin for us. So my friend and I were uh, over over a few nice. months. So you and your buddy in the middle of the night would just like log on to the school computers remotely and just like a fucking Stephen King uh, novel, just all the screens slowly light up in, in the distance and they all start their miners. I took advantage of some real good security. There was a way we could actually remote into them with a remote desktop and kind of like a server. Mm -hmm. So you didn't actually know we were on the computer. You know, that seems like a far better use of computing resources than what I did in high school, which is we joined uh, Mormon chat. <laughs> we, spent, we spent our free time trying to convince uh, men of God that being uh, a man of God wasn't a good profession. So, uh, yeah. Ajax trying to tip the balance of the scales. Normally, it's... Uh, it's missionaries of the Church of Latter-day Saints that come and harass you and bother you. Uh, but Ajax, uh, pimple-faced with all of his friends, was harassing people in online chat rooms. Dude, great, Mormons, great use of time. Mormons were like the original uh, Indian tech support agent. You know, like they're not allowed to hang up on you. They have to like let you finish the conversation. So you could say pretty much anything to this poor Mormon and he would reply to you and so yeah we we got banned from computers because the librarian had remote technology to see what we we're doing she's like don't do this don't don't harass mormons but i'm don't sure harass people online yeah it is the firm view of the domestic yak podcast not harass someone based on whatever cult they choose to follow uh so ray you set this up for how many months uh mining Bitcoin in your spare time. Well, my friend and I were working on some pro, uh, project together. We were making a little Pac-Man game using uh, tanks instead. <clears throat> we were getting excited about it, but uh, oh, yeah. we were kind of leading the pack in our class and we got bored. So on a dare, we decided to see if we could figure out how to get remote access. And when the teacher went to the bathroom, we got admin rights on her machine. And from there, over a couple <laughs> weeks, we gradually got admin rights to the rest of them through that machine. Um, so we were able to uh, kind of have the computers running the Bitcoin mining for about half a day over the course of maybe three or four months. It was most of the term. We started this pretty early. Um, <clears throat> Our power consumption is through the roof all of a sudden. Well, the thing is, I mean, the, the, the school didn't really notice the power consumption change because you look at the scale of a school's power consumption, 20 computers, it's a, it's a good amount of power, but <clears throat> it really isn't something that's a delta that they're going to investigate and so we set it up we got our mind about 800 bitcoin uh over the four months and i'm sorry 800 800 yes yeah. so we split 400 each not like 800 micro no 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 not 800 like not 800 800, not 800 satoshis which are the one one millionth of a bitcoin uh million i think it's a millionth uh it was 400 bitcoin each um i stored it on a <clears throat> laptop which I thought I had extracted the keys from onto some flash drives. Then I sold the laptop after wiping the drive many times to make sure it was not recoverable. That includes by me now in retrospect. Um, and then proceeded to get ready to go to university and meet some girls. Bitcoin didn't gain value till the summer uh, between my high school and university year. I was too busy kind of chasing tail and getting ready for university that I didn't notice that that Bitcoin had become worth $1 because a few months prior, somebody had sold some Bitcoin for some pizza. And it was really cool to see a real world transaction happen where 
the Bitcoin, which had no perceived value before, somebody decided, you know what, I have 10,000 Bitcoin worth nothing and I want some pizza from, I don't know, let's say Domino's, I don't know where it was. And so the guy went and ordered Domino's on his credit card from the local Domino's on to get it delivered to the other dude. And then the first crypto transaction was born. A few months later, it became worth something, but you know, I was getting ready for school and it was 300 bucks and you know, I was still whatever. So are you telling me that in high school, you almost became a millionaire? Like this was literally almost a cliche story of I did something in high school and became a millionaire. It could have been. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Bitcoin's been on a quite a large roller coaster. I was reading an article the other day. I think they crossed the 100th crash of Bitcoin since it's come out with massive price drops. Even last week, I mean, it lost 25% of its value and it's $800 billion market cap. That's $200 billion. It just disappeared. Um, so, I mean, it definitely with some of the volatility... I don't think I would have ever held on to it that long, but for a Bitcoin today, it's 40,000 US dollars. So I would have been much happier than I, I am now. You, you think that if you still had the keys, you would have sold your Bitcoin way earlier? Like you don't think you would have Hell yeah. seen the, the, the trend? Well, I mean, John McAfee said he was going to eat his dick if Bitcoin wasn't $1 million by the end of 2020. Uh, he hasn't really coughed up yet. His dick that is <laughs> he's still coughing up uh i don't think so anyone trusts if, john mcafee anymore just saying so what we need to do is we need to start a venture capital company to search and to figure out how to get this because currently 400 bitcoin that is somewhere in your wallet is worth 14.7 million u.s dollars if we get someone to invest a million dollars into our business, uh, either this podcast or, or trying to, to brutal uh, brute force hack into this or search something or try and get it, like what are the steps that we need to do? Because that return on investment is insane. The ROI, uh, I believe it was in the realm of, there was many digits, but it's pretty hard to kind of, run and orchestrate that level of a search there's an example of a guy in the states i don't remember which one off the top of my head but he had four digits worth of bitcoin let's say five thousand bitcoin on a laptop that he had thrown out because he had mixed up hunter biden hunter biden's laptop um <laughs> he had mixed up the hard drives and thought he kept the one which had the crypto keys on it and not the other didn't think anything of it for a few years. And then in 2017, Bitcoin went from 1000 to $20,000 US dollars. And, you know, the 20x ROI was really exciting. And he went to go try to find it, asked the city for approval to search the dump, coordinated this big multi-million dollar search. And the city said, no, it's too dangerous for you to search there. You won't find it. He's even offered now to donate one third of the findings to children's funds in the city, which, you know, one third of the Bitcoin and things like $80 million, but uh, I still said no. Mm -hmm. And I have tried very hard. I had a couple paper copies of it. I've moved much since I was in school. Those are gone. Mm -hmm. uh, the one place I had hope for was uh, the flash drives I had transferred to, but uh, lesson learned when you're buying your cryptocurrencies, you want to make sure you have a, a good hardware wallet that's not just a cheap flash drive because the uh, data has been lost. And I have brought it to professional recovery shops who have lifted the chip off this, uh, the board and actually re put it on another one to try to recover the data, uh, but failed. Mm -hmm. It was it was toast. So um, that's actually a fun component of what makes Bitcoin so valuable right now is people like me who lost some. Bitcoin was built on supply and demand. Same reason gold has a value. There's only so much gold in the world. People want it. As we lose it or there's less of it, it becomes worth more, supply and demand. Uh, same thing happens with Bitcoin. Bitcoin's a system that's built where there's only 21 million Bitcoins in existence being mined on a logarithmic scale. So when we were mining Bitcoins in our computer in high school, we could mine you know, a couple Bitcoin a day. Now, if you buy a specialty computer, which is designed to do nothing but the formula for Bitcoin, it will still take years for it to uh, uh, unlock a Bitcoin now. 
see there's two different ways of looking at this either you've ejected your bitcoin out into space and it no longer exists just like you vaporize gold and it's taken away from the market or another way to put it and how you should posture yourself for all your business deals is you have 15 million dollars in assets you're like jeff bezos you don't have anything in your bank account but it's all tied up in assets that's how you should market yourself but don't tell the canadian government <laughs> so gentlemen i have a question for you do any of you know the age of the universe it's a little bit older yeah. than your mom 14.6 billion i think is what some people are like it says here comparing it says here 15 billion years so you're in the right neighborhood well they fucking rounded up those goddamn pieces of shit okay so a bitcoin wallet is encrypted with uh aes 256 cbc so if you wanted to break that encryption if you want to brute force it so if you couldn't find an exploit for it if there was no side channel, if you wanted to brute force it, what kind of computing power would you need? Well, thankfully, somebody's already written an article and done the work for me. But the age of the universe is 15 billion years. If you had uh, every computer on Earth dedicated to the process of computing uh, this algorithm, of trying to break this algorithm, it would take... 13,689 trillion, 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 trillion years. It, when was this published? Uh, this is published uh, 2016. Oh, the new iPhone hadn't come out yet. It's probably off by a bit. No, no. It, like, encryption numbers are fucked. Like, all encryption is generally based on math. And... Uh, some of the encryption techniques use like factoring, uh, you know, prime numbers and shit like that. And mm -hmm. you you have systems that are so foolproof that the only way to break them is by following the rules. Um, take, for but example, like what if you had three cameras on the back of your phone? Like, surely you can decrypt things much quicker. OK. OK, so that's why they added the third camera yes. was to do Bitcoin yes. hacking. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I, I learned about a type of encryption today. I think that was called uh, Dyn's Hyman. Uh, I think it's usually abbreviated as DH. But sorry, did you say Dan's Hyman? Nobody said it with an accent. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, yeah, we'll just call that Dan's Hyman. <laughs> That's the name of the encryption. Um, He's like, how do I make this sound cooler instead of saying Hyman? He's <laughs> like, ooh. Can't say that on the airwaves. It's uh, DH, and it's uh, a symmetrical type of encryption, which means that it can go both ways. But um, here's like, here's the thing: if you had a perfect level of encryption where it it couldn't be broken no matter what, uh, they usually refer that to that as a one-time pad, right? Which is this level of encryption like, like that a hymen. What? <laughs> <laughs> this has nothing to do with hymens. You just said it was a one-time yeah, pad. It's the Dan's hymen. It's Dan's hymen. One-time pad is not related to DH. Oh, okay. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> I promise DH you. can go both ways. It can flex both ways. Oh, God. Uh, okay. So, DH is a very complicated, uh, like, mathematical encryption method to describe i believe it has to do with parabolas and and calculating numbers on parabolas but to explain it the most simple way possible imagine that you have a box that you are sending to a friend you put a padlock on the box that only you have the key for you send this box to your friend your friend and the hymen's in the box your friend receives the box and they put their own padlock on the box that only they have the key for. They send the okay. box back to you. You now remove your lock from the box. You send the box back to your friend. They now unlock the box because it's only their lock left. Now you securely transmitted data that is impossible to be intercepted in the middle. 
that data that would be in that box would be a private key for an encryption so that you could send messages back and forth encrypted, but it would be impossible for anyone to intercept that information on either end. That is the basis of the DH encryption. Doesn't that, that sound cool? Really, yeah, that does sound really cool. That's a very uh, uh, elegant way of putting that, Ajax. Yeah, yeah. I remember things and learn things, and sometimes they're not about sex, but... Well, it's it's good to it's good to have abbreviations in your head. I'm sure that um, that everyone's been taught something, and you're like, "Is that the way I'm supposed to remember it?" Like, I remember learning math early when I was a man, and I was uh, I was taught that, uh, and I don't fundamentally agree with this, but this is what uh, my teacher was telling me, my 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 father talking to me about about right angles, and he's like, "The difference between different angles, like angles that are less than ninety degrees, is they're skinny." So they're acute angles, because skinny girls are cute. Oh, man. And angles that are greater than 90 degrees are obtuse. And obtuse is an ugly word. And ugly girls are fat. And that was his fucking logic. Oh, my telling, gosh. Telling, like, a, a young boy this. That and the other logic of... So you have a north and a south magnet. See, the north is like a guy magnet. And the south is like a girl magnet. And they attract each other because they're different. See, two Norths don't work together, and they repel each other, because two guys together is gross. My fundamental nature of science, from an early age, has been super fucked up. But... Yeah. Um, <laughs> the last thing that I was going to say about encryption technologies is why they're, they're so powerful, is because when you think that encryption has happened, I think a lot of us don't realize that it's actually uh, a lot of our technologies are based upon multiple different types of encryption happening sequentially one after another. So you might think that there's one particular cipher, one particular way of encrypting data, but that's never enough. They always do multiple different things. So consider, for example, um, you have a piece of data that you encrypt with a cipher and the cipher is, you know, an industry standard, uh, a great way to encrypt data. But the problem is that if you always use that cipher on that same piece of data, that would reveal patterns in the data. And so the question is, how do you prevent people from seeing patterns in the encrypted data? Well, that's when you combine multiple different encryption techniques and you can even do something uh, called ZOR which is like XOR. So XOR or ZOR is basically where um, everything when it's encrypted, by the way, and everything on the computer uh, ultimately gets reduced to binary. And I know that you know about binary, Ed. Are you talking about the Boolean function, ZOR? Probably. What, what is your Jesus understanding Christ. of ZOR? What does ZOR do for you? Um, it means exclusive or. Yeah. So uh, essentially you have like uh, your, your data that's been transformed into binary. Then you have like your mm -hmm. ZOR string that is the same length as the data that you're going to uh, encrypt. And if the data matches the ZOR digit, if it's a one and a one, then it's a zero. If it doesn't match then it's a one. And by applying yes. a ZOR to the data, you can transform that data outside of a pattern that is recognizable from that level of encryption that you applied us, aside from that specific cipher. And some of the encryption technologies use like a randomly generated uh, ZOR at the start of the encryption to make it so that no matter how many times you encrypt the same piece of data, that ciphertext is not identical to any other ciphertext, even using the same technique, because it's based upon a, a random number that's used to generate the ZOR. Um, you can even also have other types of encryption where the ZOR is informed by the ZOR before it. So you have like a random number for the first ZOR, and then the next piece of data that gets encrypted uses the previous ZOR to encrypt that new piece of data. So it follows sequentially, it becomes a chain and it makes it so that you can't decrypt 
one piece of the data aside from the rest. So there's some weaknesses there with processing and encryption, but that operates in premise very similarly to the technology of blockchain. So for those of you who haven't heard about the greatest, awesomest thing ever, which is blockchain, blockchain is a technology that kind of stores the entire history and, and transactional record of this little itty bit of data. And in this case, that little itty bit of data would be uh, a, a piece of Bitcoin, like a, a fraction or a, a percentage of a Bitcoin. It, it's, a, it's a ledger uh, going over every single transaction yeah. and transfer of Bitcoin and the difficult process of decrypting each of those sections and breaking it down and uh, recalculating the ledger is what everybody is doing to mine. Yeah. Um, so and in the difficulty increases exponentially because there's more and more transactions and therefore they give out less Bitcoin until it just has value because it's it's rare. In the same and way everyone worked hard to get it. That you won't have sex with your girlfriend until she tells you everyone who she's had sex with because you have to have a chain of knowing no. where the sexually transmitted infections come from. Bitcoin uh, with, with blockchain is the same, you know? Blockchain I'm sorry, in real Ajax, life. Do you, do you question and force women to, to tell you all the people that they've had sexual encounters with before you sleep with them? Well, it's a chain of trust. You have a, a yeah, sexual so you intercourse authority. Okay. You have a top-level authority who provides trust to intermediates. And so uh, you can't trust your new sexual partner until you trust all the sexual partners that came before. Or you could ask her or assume that if something was going on and she had an infection, that she would tell you. Well, but that's... <clears throat> you're kind of comparing the old and the new systems very well when you're, you were using this analogy here. In your case, you're only asking to see the most recent status. How are you currently... What do you currently... Are you going to currently give me an STD? Whereas, to Ajax's point, getting the entire transaction history lets you kind of validate that the whole thing is clean, not just right now. Um, but not this. Not this woman is clean. It's whether or not this banking institution is clean. Well, we're changing analogies now, no, no, but that was where we started. Never mind. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Yes, but so, I kind of want to break down to see what the fuck Ajax does. You just like straight up tie, tie a woman to a fucking radiator and, and and berate her and ask her who she's fooled around with. The joke's on you. I don't own a radiator. Oh no, we don't live in England. Oh god. Uh, but yeah, uh, blockchain is awesome because you think about the flow of money in America, right? A lot of people complain that they just keep printing money. And when they print money, you add more money into the system. Every time you add more money into the system, that inherently decreases the value of every single dollar already in circulation. In addition to that, there's this whole concept of usury, of, of charging money for lending money and the services that banks fill. Um, a bank charges you money to, to hold your money a bank charges you money to invest your money. The bank charges you for you to store your money in their institution. And then they take your money and they lend that out and they borrow it to other people. And so the bank is providing you a service that it makes money off of, but then also charges you for the fact that you're storing money there. So the bank is, is having its cake and eating it too. Yeah, and in that state, they're also creating cake. Because I could understand if I were to approach uh, Bobby Two Shoes and I'm like, hey, hold on to my $10,000. And he goes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I got a vault here. No one's going to touch your money. And I'm like, thank you. You're providing a service for me. You're keeping my money safe. Here is a small amount of money to keep my money safe and secure. But then if uh, Bobby Two Shoes turns around and lends out 90% of my money because he knows like that schmuck's not going to come around and, and ask for all of his money at once, 
now I'm providing with a service. I'm giving him leverage to give out to other people. And then those people can kind of spend and do whatever. So why the fuck am I paying him for his business to exist? It almost seems like a handout. And that's why banks are evil. Well, and that's where like the, the excitement between behind Bitcoin came in. You know, this concept of utilization and the, the usury, but utilization, you know, you're only paying for the system when you use it. You send a transaction on the blockchain, there's a small fee to pay the miners and incentivize them to do the math. On the flip side of things, uh, you don't have that same, that fee, you know, you have a fee from the bank for your account to just exist. Yeah, or you have some fee that facilitates some wire transfer, money transfer, but sending a large portion of cash from one part of the world to another is extremely difficult. And it's limited uh, in quite and quite a And it takes number of forever. If you want to send a 500 bucks to your friend on the other side of the world, it's going to take the bank a week and they're going to charge you 50 bucks. If you want to send someone the equivalent in Bitcoin, it will take 12 minutes and... It's probably going to cost you in the realm of I mean, right now mining block price is like twenty bucks, but it also cost you tw it'll still cost you twenty bucks if that transaction was a million dollars. You pay on the size of the and the complexity of the details in the transaction, not the, which which does scale up to the dollar value, but not much. So, if we were using an economy entirely based on digital currencies, would banks still exist? I don't think so. Um, I mean, services like banks would exist in a different way, but banks as we know them will not survive our lifetimes. Now, a lot of people claim that, uh, you know, things like Money 2.0 and these digital currencies are going to remove so many of the inherent problems with Money 1.0, right? Like if we were going to think of money as a technology that is iterated upon, it's kind of crazy to think that the form of money that we're using hasn't evolved much past when the, the Greeks and Romans used it. Like our only really claim to fame was credit. But digital currency seems to be an actual advancement. Well, it is. Well, it's something that can keep up with the uh, the demand and the thousands of interactions that happen every single day, and the constant um, growth of every country's economy and countries between each other. Like you're able to upkeep now that we have some digital process. Now, Ajax, and by Ajax, I mean I'm Ajax. I meant to say Ray. Now, Ray, I am led to believe that you are an upstanding young citizen that has a shit together and is, you know, owning property. Can you tell me about the interaction of our current system with things like a mortgage and interest rates and maybe how that might change if we were on a, a system of digital currencies of the future? Well, I, I mean, that's one of the, the risks and the beauty of the blockchain is how, um, how much data you can store in there and how you can kind of preserve things in a public manner on that distributed ledger. So, so you have a mortgage right now, right? I have a mortgage right now, and it was just an awful process to get it. I went through a broker. It took a very long time. They got me a very crappy rate in comparison to what I could have had now, and I'm Do locked into a deal. Do you mind saying what your rate is? Um, I'm f I signed my mortgage in the middle of 2018, and I got 3.24%, which is not bad, but that means in the first $100,000 I'm paying in this five years, half of that went to the bank. And, and that sucks. Um, I wouldn't have gotten a much better uh, interest rate had my credit score been supreme. But I didn't have a large amount of a chance to shop around and it wasn't really true competition. It, you're still tapping into a point of a very small market. The actual underwriters of the mortgages, there's, there's not a lot really. I mean, you're 
other companies are white labeling it, but the services are still only so many mortgages that are written. So that's where blockchain kind of becomes cool. Somebody did actually, I was reading an article that there was a mortgage issued uh, that was backed by Bitcoin uh, recently. But one of the things you can do with the blockchain is because it's distributed with everyone, you're able to share that information so you can contribute your own record. Anybody else can validate that, you know, your credit score is real because you have paid it back. You can control your own uh, credit score uh, or, or goodwill or social goodwill because you can kind of prove what you've done by submitting it yourself to a decentralized authority where it's not one specific decision maker who is deciding you did or did not uh, pay your bills, you can prove whether or not you've paid your bills on a system everyone else can see to. And that kind of puts a little bit more in the hands of the consumer. And I think as people are seeing more and more how these large corrupt organizations have been kind of, you know, taking the beans, that they'll find alternative methods that it's a fair amount of beans. What does it cost to send a transaction in today's world on computers? If you look at like one of the major banks in Canada, it's going to cost them less than one processor cycle on their server. And that's nothing as far as power consumption and depreciation on their assets and every other cost you could throw in there. It does not cost them anything to process a transaction. Why do they charge me two bucks? So, you know, it's just looking at a fair exchange for the services that you can decide by shopping around. The blockchains are really interesting because they're all going to be driven by adoption. The size of the market, the number of people who are willing to use the service and exchange value through it will create more value. It's just the network effect. The size of a network will improve the quality of a network. Two questions for you. The first one is, does interest still exist in a digital currency? And then the second one would be, um, with blockchain and with you know having a, a mortgage that could be digital and, and stuff like that um does that break our current society does that break the system like can a mortgage still exist in the conventional terms of today if it was uh you know digitally blockchain well i think that the whole concept of interest and lending money as a service it's just up to the two parties that agree to it. So if you lend someone X amount of Bitcoin, then you do specify, and maybe if it's a part of a public ledger, what the contract is that everyone can keep in mind. But a question that I have, uh, maybe you know the answer to this, Ray, is it's my understanding that everybody's wallet and identities is uh, anonymous in the blockchain. So how does one's like credit score factor into that? Like, how does one pull their credit score and prove that it's them and their list of transactions? Well, that's where you said the blockchain. It's not the blockchain. There are many blockchains. So they serve different purposes. 2017 was the rise of what they called the ICO. It's an initial coin offering, just like an IPO for a stock. But it was these companies that would speculate, you know, we're going to create this value system where people are going to exchange a service. I invested in one that was a metric of your car registry and all of the uh, records for your maintenance. So whenever you were buying a used car, you could validate every single oil change it had because in a publicly stamped database, it had the stamp of where my oil change was done, how much I paid for it, how much oil was put in, any of the details of the change, mileage. You can track the entire uh, visit. That's specialized for cars. There are some other ones I've recently invested in that are looking at the health sciences. They're tracking, you know, it's a it's a COVID badge and it's validated that you've had your COVID vaccine through a public blockchain that everybody else agrees upon as well. Certifications, Ajax was mentioning a security course today. That's another kind of place where these systems can come in is you're validating that this person does indeed have a university degree. They did indeed complete. So it wouldn't be... Uh, anonymized for that type of service that everybody agrees to, but it is one public ledger that has everybody's 
uh, has everybody's information about a specific thing. Yeah, and that's kind of where the value is generated from is, you know, these create this service mm -hmm. when you buy one of the coins for um, this cert your certification platform, that coin is a gift card to validate two people's credentials. You get paid for processing the transactions and maybe you have to pay with the coins to list your own credential for other people to validate. There's ways to, like they've, they've thought of these amazing new ways to exchange value between people. And it's not just, I keep saying value because it's not just dollars. There are different mm -hmm. concepts that even you know, for us in Western culture, we don't realize in the, some of the Asian cultures is what's called social credit. And it's this concept where, you know, you're a good citizen, you walk, granny walk across the street, you get some brownie points, but there's some appeal to actually building out cryptocurrencies around that kind of a system. Yeah. That's a little spooky for me. It sounds dystopian. Well, Whenever I think of social credit, I think of who are the good communists in China? And it's a very negative connotation in my mind. I think we'll get there. I think we'll get there. Um, Ray. Oh, we're going to talk about communism? Well, no, talk about different applications of crypto because the most vanilla, most plain-faced interpretation we have is exchanging our local currency for crypto. But I'm led to believe that there are other sources and utilities to crypto that extend far beyond just conventional currency. Before we get there, Ray, some people criticize traditional currency money system by saying that the costs of holding on to money, of just sitting on it in your bank like Scrooge McDuck, are hidden inside of inflation and taxes. And that with a new money system, uh, a digital currency, uh, there's transparency. So this avoids some of the default problems of traditional currencies. And they suggest that by having this digital system where things like inflation and taxes aren't as prominent, it creates a system wherein people are incentivized to lend out their money rather than just sit on their hordes of wealth. What say you? Well, there's, there's two trains of thought. I mean, there's the HODLers, which is a um, <clears throat> quick story there. HODL was an accidental abbreviation on Reddit when Bitcoin first gained a value. Somebody was trying to say, hold on to your Bitcoin, and they put a typo and spelled out HODL. Um, but it's meant, it's become something, it's a meme in the crypto space now is hold on for dear life as you're crossing your fingers that the crypto you have shoots to the moon in value very similar when like a, like a stock's performance and growth i mean some of these are just traded as similar to a security bitcoin right now is still speculative in value people don't realize that when you put money in the mattress it's not you're talking about the taxes and the, the interest and inflation there but it's also like it's, it's it's being affected by inflation because as it's sitting in the your your mattress more money is being created around it so the supply is larger therefore the demand is lower for that same dollar bitcoin inherently solves that problem by locking in the supply in the the math there can never be more than 21 million bitcoin and approximately 10 million bitcoin have already been lost by idiots like me so that only leaves 11 million bitcoin left to potentially circulate in the future and there's about 17 something million have been mined now. So um, there's really only like seven or 8 million Bitcoin in circulation at this point in time. It's all speculative. There could be more in just cold wallets, but um, it does seem like there is a large, uh, like the supply is very fixed and it's, yeah. Yeah, so we've addressed one aspect of inflation, which is uh, supply uh, pull uh, inflation. Um, but there's also demand push. I might be mixing the, the pushes and pulls around. But something that's coming to my mind is someone's hourly wage or the rate that they provide a service for will change year to year depending on what Bitcoin's worth. So you can probably see fluctuations in its value depending on what the market transcribes, right? Like if someone gets paid X amount of Bitcoin for a medial task, 
and someone gets paid double, then maybe that medial tasks value goes up or maybe the value of Bitcoin goes down. There's going to be this weird transience, I think, that there's going to be cycles where, well, labor's in really hot demand right now, so you have to spend a lot of Bitcoin per hour to get a labor worker to, to do something for you. And hopefully it'll it'll balance out to some extent, but that's something that's gotten my brain spinning on. Maybe if such and such started paying all their workers X amount Bitcoin per hour, that that would affect the price itself. Uh, well, that just comes down to statistics, right? That's called like a normal distribution. The idea is that if you have enough participants and enough transactions in Bitcoin, that one person being paid, you know, three Bitcoin to blow some leaves off a lawn isn't going to upset the market for manual labor. It's not that everyone's going to be paid multiple Bitcoin to blow leaves off lawns. The idea is that there's enough diversity and enough unique transactions happening that the outliers won't statistically affect the median. And the problem we're facing right now with these big fluctuations is probably just not enough participants in the Bitcoin economy. If there's more Bitcoin transactions, if there's more Bitcoin holders, uh, it will stabilize, will it not? Are you theorizing this is going to be a, a perfect free market where supply will meet demand? No, supply will not be demand. Supply is fixed as demand increases. But like, I mean, sorry, demand's going to pick the, the value of the thing consistently and thoroughly based on whatever the supply of labor is or supply of goods is and the demand of Bitcoin in exchange. Well, and or what it what it's traded for. I mean, if you just look at, I mean, Bitcoin is the new gold. If you look at the market capitalization of golds, all the gold in the world is worth about $12 trillion. All the Bitcoin in the world is worth $700 billion. If Bitcoin equals the new gold, eventually those should be the same price. Um, so, I mean, that either says gold's got 10x to go down or Bitcoin's got more than 10x to go up still. Um, and Morgan Stanley and the other banks are suggesting that it's the upward swing because supply is fixed. More people are getting involved in it. There are now, like, you know, there's millions of wallets that have been opened on the blockchain for Bitcoin. More, more and more activity is there. So the demand is rising up, but the supply won't change. So it will inherently have to climb. Plus, the amount of power costs to mine a Bitcoin, it it, it, it has to keep going up. It's, uh, I was reading something about 2025. Yeah, it's just going to be like, you know, a whole bunch of money. But Ajax, I was going to ask, can I blow the leaves off your lawn? Because if you pay $150,000 to blow leaves off your yard, I'm showing up tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll blow something for that amount of money. I well, don't know what. You know, if I had three Bitcoin, I'd be open to having either of you blow anything. Uh, wow, that was ambiguous. Um, moving on, um, I think one of the things that bears mentioning is the idea that Bitcoin would be sort of our gold standard. And there's not really, uh, it's not like we have to pick one cryptocurrency. It's not like we have to say, well, Bitcoin is our US dollar. Now, we can't have any other but, but cryptocurrencies. He, but there, he's the daddy currency. We all have to bow down to the daddy yeah, currency. Because so, if Bitcoin drops in value, then Ethereum and a bunch of other things are going to be affected well, by Bitcoin's not a, Bitcoin's not scalable. It will never be a transaction network. It's too expensive. I mean, if you want to buy a hot dog, it's still 10 bucks to send a transaction. So it's not worth buying small transactions with it. So banks will use it for large stores of value. But... As large and complex as the Bitcoin network has become, it was never designed for a rapidly transacting blockchain. I believe you can only process a couple dozen transactions a second on the Bitcoin blockchain. Visa, by comparison, has 50,000 transactions a second that go through there. So there have been, it's not, not going to be possible for it to handle that. The backlog will be huge, and that was already seen. In 2017 and even now, kind of as the demand is ramping up, the backlog for transactions is becoming quite large. It's taking a lot longer to send one because there's a large queue, uh, just because it can only handle so many transactions. That's where one of the other ones like Ethereum, which is the number two, come in. 
is you can bribe the network. So you pick your fee and you can say, I'm going to pay a whole lot more, put me at the front of the line and you can do so. They'll, they will let you, um, kind of choose your transaction fee and you, you know, you're either, I can wait or I need it right now and pay accordingly, which is kind of nice. You have the ability to do that, but the power behind Ethereum, which I didn't mention is it's a smart contract ecosystem. So it's designed to be a platform that all of the other applications will come in on that certification platform I mentioned would be built on a platform like Ethereum, just like, you know, computers are running on Windows or Linux or Mac, but just like it's kind of like the base base bit for all of the other major cryptocurrencies that are trying to pop out right now. But smart contracts are cool because you have an enforcement. So I say I'm going to do something. You write it in the contract and the money is locked up. If that event happens, the transfer uh, does too. And if that event does not happen by whatever the conditions were in the smart contract, it will revert back to the owner. It's a lot more control and transparency for agreements because you're actually staking the value when you sign a contract. If somebody's not going to pay you, you have no idea if the money's in the bank. You can see it sitting there on your contract waiting for you to finish your task. Yeah, it's like a digital checkpoint, Charlie, where somebody's waiting and both both services have the, the goods and the other stuff and the person in the middle is the uh, the smart contract and they instantly switch both when both parties agree. Yeah. My understanding would be that in the future, if we went to an all-digital future, that we would have many, many different digital currencies and Bitcoin would kind of be your gold standard. Most people aren't buying and selling and trading in bitcoin but this is a standard that other currencies are compared against and you'd have you know one currency maybe for buying a bus pass maybe uh, a currency for buying gas different crypto coins for different purposes um, that would allow you to be like oh you know my brother doesn't have enough money for gas for gas i'm going to send him uh, a gas token of this gas cryptocurrency and I'll send that to mm. him and now it's like the equivalent of sending somebody a gift card today you've locked them into an ecosystem where they can only exchange that coin for a particular good or service so the idea would be that depending on the needs of the industry and the scale of things that you could have any number of different cryptocurrencies to fulfill different roles well i mean that's kind of a good way to work on wrapping up our podcast a little bit is looking at you know what's next for 2021 my eye is on the platforms which will intermingle the data between the different blockchains so if i want to you know somebody needs a gas token but i only have bitcoin i can send them my bitcoin and it'll function like a gas token. There are different things where they can wrap it up and you take your gift card and you put it in an envelope where now it says it's actually good for, you know, the gas station or the gas token. Um, and there are other services where they're trying to do this cross-chain uh, stuff so that you are doing transactions between the different blockchains. So now you can exchange value for whichever good or service you want, just like an open trade market in the bazaar uh, well, back, in the, back in the Roman times. Now, if we were going to finish off our propaganda podcast piece about cryptocurrencies, you know, it seems to me that you, you almost need a, a short and sweet pros and cons list where you're like, these are the benefits of cryptos. These are the, the cons. My understanding is that one of the biggest pros is removing the middleman. So depending upon your opinion about banks, you have a institution, a force in the economy that decides what supply and demand is and determines interest rates and decides how much money should be released or what the interest rate to borrow money is at. And there's supposed to be laws and standards that ensure that banks are not colluding and not focusing on profit over service. But I think history has taught us that that is probably not the case. Cryptocurrencies would essentially drastically reduce the power of banks to run our society, would it not? 
I definitely think it takes their power away. They're scared for it, but they're trying to embrace it because supply is fixed right now. They're buying it all up. Um, in PayPal, Grayscale, and I forgot the third have bought almost three times the amount of Bitcoin that's been mined the last three months straight um, to kind of put into their own pockets to then hold in custody and trade for dollars to kind of run like their own um, service. So it's definitely garnering a lot more um, kind of large scale excitement. So what you're telling me, Ajax, is that the globalist elites don't want us to have access to a free and open market. The most free and pro-American thing that I can think of. That's why everybody that's going to be joining me down by the capital in the next few days are going to get paid solely in Bitcoin by people out of France. And will be entirely anima- uh, anonymized so the globalist elites don't get control because they, they don't want to cut out the middleman. They are the middleman. They are the lizard people. Well, I think, partner, you're confusing people who are just informed about the times that are changing and the crazy people who are going to the capital to do bad things. I would not say that early adopters of cryptocurrencies are crazy conspiracy theorists. I'd say they're enlightened citizens who are embracing our digital future. Well... It can be used by anybody. It can be used by good actors and bad actors. And it has actually come out that a lot of the people that were a part of the insurrection is what they're calling it now at the, at, uh, at the Capitol building were paid through Bitcoin as part of a contract service back in December. They had large amounts of, uh, of money put into their wallets uh, prior to, to doing this. I don't know how they learned that besides someone admitting it openly because they're stupid. It sounds like but the kind of really it, created it sounds like, uh, a way to bypass everything. It sounds like the fucking kind of rumor they would spread to try and kill and take away momentum from something like digital currencies. Like mm. you you literally only can, only racists okay. use Bitcoin. There's going to be a lot of propaganda this year from the big companies who do not want you to buy their Bitcoin. So they're going to start putting out a whole bunch of news saying it's complete crap. You even saw like last week the European money associate i don't remember their name they put out an announcement that said that they're not going to support cryptocurrencies and they think that bitcoin is a very 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 high risk investment please don't do it um (laughs) meanwhile some of their largest banks are again gobbling up the supply so i i think we're gonna see well that's what they do they they make everyone leery of it and then they get in on the market uh first and foremost so they can have a controlling share and whatever the hell that they're they're venturing towards. y'all can't take my rights yeah, don't you remember like the silk road and how dirty cryptocurrency used to but be? it but it wasn't like, cryptocurrency was dirty because people didn't understand it it was a black market because nobody was watching it cryptocurrency is incredibly transparent people don't realize how much money is laundered through the u.s dollar it is the most num- like the number one laundering system is the the u.s dollar it is so easy to put money through the u.s dollar and not get caught Everything you can see on the blockchain, you can see every transaction that's ever happened. The hard part is matching up a wallet to a person. That's where the anonymity comes in. But if you want to see what someone's done with their Bitcoin, it's not hard. And this is the problem with this this fucking propaganda and everything. I like I, honestly, maybe this is a hot take. I'm raising my voice because I'm getting upset. If you put the pros and cons of regular money and institutions on a piece of paper and you put the pros and cons of cryptocurrencies on a piece of paper it wouldn't be a contest like the fucking geniuses that invented cryptos and invented bitcoin invented ethereum and 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 proliferated all this they sat down and they said how do we improve on a technological system because that's what money is, is the technological system. It's a way of abstracting the actual value of things into something arbitrary. And fucking cryptocurrency is the most logical conclusion of that system. It's the logical conclusion of let's take something that means nothing is worth nothing. Ones and zeros. Let's just fucking turn it all digital and let's develop encryption technologies. Let's develop systems that guarantee this shit can't be fucked with end-to-end encryption, encryption in the wallets, 
prevent people from intercepting money in the middle, prevent people from fucking with the economy, prevent people from printing money. Like they are so fucking terrified of it because the massive amount of control these companies and organizations and the, the global elite cabal have had on our society of oppressing the proletariat through currency. <laughs> seriously, no, I, I said proletariat, but I mean it. Uh, I proletariat. mean it. Dude, seriously. Don't say proletariat. You could get fucking Marxist on this shit, okay? If, if fucking Karl Marx came back today, he'd be like, cryptocurrency, yeah. He'd be like, fuck yeah, that is the problem. He would, Karl Marx would leave communism and join capitalism if it was run on cryptocurrencies, okay? He would, sh he would shave his beard and he would be uh, a tech startup mogul. Him and young Jay Stahl would hang out. And he'd be uh, vaping. They'd be wearing turtlenecks and they would be just making bank. Adorable. They'd be vaping, um, blowing, blowing big vape clouds. I am very curious as to what your interpretation of Marxism is, but that's what I suppose we'll be getting into in the next couple episodes or next episode uh, along that point, because we got to wrap up this. This has been a crypto slash encryption technology conversation with our lovely guest, Ray Tracing. Thank you, Ray. I've been Eddie Elfman, and that's been Ajax. We appreciate you so much, Ray.